0: I first got to spend time with Quentin when he came down for the Surf Expo in January. He's a Southern boy. He's from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. He was so polite, giving, um, helpful, certified tube hound, fisherman, diver, takes people out, vicarious charters. I hope you enjoy the conversation with him and uh, got a chance to see what his world looks like from day to day. Salty Crew Radio presents Salty Stories, the ship's log. Stories about the hard workers, the searchers, the risk taking, mistake making watermen who have nothing to prove. About the seafarer, the waxer, the grommets, young and old. About the tried and true,
1: those who've paid their dues. About those who choose, find refuge in the sea.
0: So, Quentin, dude, how you doing, Uh, man?
2: Dude, I'm doing great. I'm stoked to be on here. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to chat and talk about fishing and surfing stories. I would love to
0: just jump into that um, that tuna story. Dude, uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I love the story because it was... It was so many times to the epic fail. And somehow oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there were so many times everything that could have gone wrong that day seemed to have gone wrong. It was like, oh, we like this thing went wrong. It's okay, we recovered. And then it was another thing went wrong.
0: <laughs> and isn't isn't that uh, not that the story of our lives a lot of times? But um yeah, if you like start off on that story. But go back to when you got the phone call. Was it that morning or the day before? Like, hey, I think, I think we should go offshore.
2: Yeah, so I mean, the Outer Banks is, we got world-class bluefin tuna fish in here. It only happens for like a little window. It kind of starts late January when they show up and they'll stick around into March sometimes. But um, I got a couple of buddies that um, do it commercially. So I saw that they were showing up. I saw a couple of buddies that were getting out there and catching some big ones, you know, like 500 pounds plus. And that was been a dream of mine to go do. So I texted, I got friends that are mates and captains and stuff on boats. And I just sent out every guy I knew. I was like, Hey, if you're looking for an extra hand just to crank in, like, let me know. I'd love to be out there on the boat. So um, the one guy I talked to, he hit.
0: Even explained for, um, you know, people that don't grow up or, or have been to the Outer Banks, Um, what makes it so special as far as like the how how big the fish get because of the the Gulf stream and how far you guys have to run to get there
2: yeah that's the crazy thing so I mean I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the show Wicked Tuna so it's the same thing here they do Wicked Tuna Outer Banks and I mean it's It is giant, giant bluefin tuna, you know, that are 500 to a thousand pounds. And the crazy thing is about it here on the Outer Banks is they can be like 20 miles offshore at times. They come in so much closer here than a lot of other places. So that was a cool thing. I think we hooked ours at like 30, 35 miles out. So it's not even that far of a run to get out. And I mean, that day we fit, we had lines in the water for, I think, 15 minutes and we already hooked up, like just ridiculous. It wasn't like the fishing all day for a bite. It was like letting lines out. It's like, oh, we're already hooked up.
0: (laughs) and um is that thing just like crashing the surface or you got it down what, what yeah
2: yeah so I mean I guess I'll go ahead and start with the whole story so I mean um my buddy Michael he hit me up he was like I'm going out you're welcome to join and I was like heck yeah I'll be there so I got up at like 3 a- 3 a.m or something met him at the dock we were leaving the dock at like four in the morning or something heading out in the dock, dark running it wasn't even that long of a run you know we were out there within like two hours or less Slick, calm, gorgeous morning as the sun was coming up. And, um, yeah, so we're setting lines out and we're trolling Ballyhoo on top, you know, like you're doing for yellowfin tuna and, like, kind of for Marlins, just a bigger setup. (laughs) So we get out there and um, I tuna fish, but I'm not an expert or anything. So it was um, me, Michael, and Brian, and um, those guys do it a bit more than I do. So I was driving the boat while they were setting all the lines up. I don't want to be in charge of that. I don't want to have a Ballyhoo spinning circles. (laughs) So they were setting the lines up and doing everything, and I was driving, and I was just like, man, like, I don't know where I'm going here. Like, I'm just doing this, doing that. They are setting all the lines and, like, saw, like, a little kind of, like, I wouldn't even say it was, like, a foam ball or, like, a slick or anything. It just looked a little bit out of the ordinary. So we were, like, right on the edge of, like, the cold water and the Gulf Stream water. It was, I think, like 55-ish or something, green water on one side, and then, like, almost 70 Gulf Stream water on this side. And, I mean, like, a hard break. Like, there was boats on either side. So we were just in the Gulf Stream water. And, like, right as I circled that, like, I mean, no joke, 20 minutes max, the lines were in the water. Like, they set all the lines, and they were just, like, chilling for a second. And I'm, like, doing this circle around, and wham, the rod just gets smoked. And I'm looking back, and, I mean, it's a huge, like, 130 reel, and it's just, like, dump in line. And I'm, like w- – what do I do? You want me to take the boat out of gear? <laughs> like, it
1: went from like no stress to like, oh my god, we got a fish on already. Like, I don't want to be on the steering wheel right now as this thing's dumping all this line. So it's just burn and drag. And I'm like
2: watching it go. Like, we had a blue line on top and it's dumping, and then it starts getting to the green line underneath. And I was like, oh, he was like, okay, like, back it up, put it in reverse. So, like, we back it up and start cranking. And then Michael jumps and takes the wheel. So, I mean, I don't even know how many yards of line it took but it took a ridiculous amount on the first on the first run so then um michael grabbed the wheel brian was cranking and he gained a whole bunch of line back and we were you know backing down and we got pretty much right on top of it and then it came up i mean this was probably like 30 minutes into the fight or so we got a whole bunch of the line back and then it took a run a little bit and then came up onto the surface and broke the surface and the thing was huge like this explosion it made and as soon as it broke the surface it's like it saw the boat and was like, oh. I know what's up and then just dove straight back down and like we weren't even, you know, we were like idling in gear, dumped all the, all that blue line straight back down to the green backing underneath, like so quickly again, which is like, uh, uh-uh, uh and just wouldn't stop and went all the way straight you back could, down. You
0: couldn't even turn his head. Like you couldn't. No, even. we
2: couldn't even turn the head. Like I was like, is this full drag? And Michael's like, Oh yeah, this is full drag. Like this is just part of it. (laughs) Cause like, to me, like I've yellowfin tuna fish, you know, I've been offshore fishing plenty of time, but not like that. So it was just crazy. You know, you are used to having a fish run and then it stops and you gain line and then it runs again. But this was like, you hooked the rod up to a truck and the truck just kept driving and there was just like, no stopping it. There was no, like it tiring out. It was just like going. So I was just like, that whole thing was insane. So it, you know, did some runs and we were switching out, you know, it's three of us so we would take turns. One of us would be driving, one of us would be on the rod fighting. And um, for some reason there was moments where the, um, the rod wouldn't hook into the rod holder correctly. So it was kind of spinning. So that was like another stressful thing. We were on a big, it was like a 35 foot boat, but it had outboards, which was a big inconvenience for fighting a fish like that. Having to worry about getting the um, line in the um, crops so it was spinning it wouldn't catch in the rod holder sometimes it would catch and then like for some reason it kept slipping out almost so we were having to like be aware of that sometimes the fish would like run we'd be crisscrossing sides trying to keep it from staying out of the outboards and um we just kept doing that and like we were in the Gulf stream water at this time so there was like eight miles an hour of tide or something moving so we were drifting so much you could tell the fish was really using it to help him out fighting because he was just like standing like it was so hard for us to get line on him at times being in the outboards we weren't able to really do a tight circle so you would like feel it you'd get a right angle on him and you'd be able to gain a whole bunch of line and then like the fish would like use the current again to his advantage and then he would just like take all that line back so it was I mean, really like you couldn't crazy get him out, you couldn't get him out of that current no that was the thing we um so when we first hooked up there was a whole bunch of other boats around and there's three we were one of four boats that were hooked up on Bluefin, and there was one moment where we were getting close to another boat to where it was the point where it was like getting sketchy. So we were trying to like get away from the boats, like to give ourselves a little bit of distance from like three other boats that were hooked up, and then by doing that, we put ourselves in the Gulf Stream, and we were ripped by the. We were. We I think we ended up like 15 miles away from where we hooked up. We were 50. We were over 50 miles out by the end of it. Like there was no boats in sight. Like the last three hours of the fight. Oh my gosh! Is so it still, um, is it the current that like it doesn't look? Because sometimes
0: when you're on the ocean, it's like whoa, we're in a current and we're moving. But sometimes you're in a current but you
2: swear you're not in a current you know what i'm saying that's exactly how it was i didn't realize it till michael was saying it and he was like we're in a lot of tide right now and i was like really and he was like yeah like look around i was like oh you're right like there's no more boats around he was like yeah we're not doing that like we're getting sucked away
1: while we're fighting this fish he was like i'm not trying to drive us in the middle of nowhere (laughs) he was like if i was driving us anywhere i'd be driving us closer to shore (laughs) (laughs) i I always trip out about that because i'm uh
0: just just from being out there i'm like dude you just never know how nasty of a current you're in and yeah
2: Uh uh-huh yeah that was totally it like i didn't realize it until he was like pointing it out and i was like and then so so how many hours so how many hours were you getting into this so we were like we were three hours in like at this middle point where we were way the heck out there and like you were having like, it was cool, like learning experience. Like you were really having to watch your rod tip and you were trying to gain any little bit of line you could, you know, with your one hand on the line pulling in and cranking and really just paying attention to that rod. Like as soon as it would just lift up a little bit, you would try and crank as much as you can. If it really let off, you could just crank with your hand, but at times you'd be pulling with your left hand the line in try and get some cranks. So we were just doing that total chest match. We were switching and then like the first gnarly, thing that went really wrong for us was it kept crisscrossing and we were trying to use the circle of the boat and the tide to gain line on it. Cause he was doing circles around the boat straight under us. And we were crisscrossing like over and over on the outboards. I mean, it's not easy when you got this huge rod and this fish over,
1: over the motors to yeah. the other
2: corner. Cause you'd be on this corner and you could tell you wanted to be on that side. So we were trying to switch it to try and gain this line. And we did this countless, countless times. And one time, unfortunately like a little wave hit us as we were going over and we leaned over and the line got caught on the outboard and we were just like crushed we we're like oh my god we turned the motors off ran back there had to lift the motor and i had to like kick the line i couldn't even reach my arm all the way off and like kick the line off of the outboard oh and so we it was just, on like, the lower the lower Yeah, part. it was on the lower unit yeah of the outboard wow. as we lifted up like luckily it didn't hit the prop but it like got caught on the little corner so like i'm on the back of the boat like we're way out there and i'm like trying to kick this line off of it and we get it off so we were like oh like that could have been it right there so then we're like you know hours in and the um there was something messed up with the lower unit on both of them we realized in the moment and the motor started overheating while we were out there like we we're just like idling low gear for hours and you know that overheating alarm goes off like something you don't want to hear when you're way
1: out in the middle of the ocean so he cuts the one off he's like oh crap So it's like, we're on one motor now fighting the pitch. (laughs) And then that one starts overheating. So he like turns the other one back on and turns that one off. So we're doing this like flip flopping, like every 30, 40 minutes or so, the one would overheat. So like for a
2: good while, we're just on one motor at a time. So we're going through that. And then we finally start gaining line on him and we're getting him up towards the surface and we get, you know, like the big harpoon thing, the dart. So we get him (laughs) up
1: and we, We're
2: we're like, this is like six hours in at this point. So, you know, we're getting a little rushed and we're just wanting to land the fish. And I mean, um, I'm no expert, but Michael, he's a great, great fisherman. So, I mean, he's done this plenty of times and um, he just got a little quick and he missed the shot on him. It was a long shot. He probably should have waited a second more, but he took the shot. It was a shot, but he missed it. And the thing just took a whole bunch of line again. It was like this moment of like, we're about to land it. Here it comes. And then he missed and the thing took a whole bunch of line again and we lost sight of it. When it took us about another hour we got it back up and um oh yeah I guess I forgot to mention when we got it close to the surface I noticed that part on the line where it did hit the outboard was frayed I saw a little nick as it came in so when it took that run again I was trying to keep him from getting that little nick of line back out of the reel because like I was like in my mind I was like this is going to be like the end point like if all that line goes back out and that phrase out there so I was able to keep that fray in the rod. It didn't dump it all the way back out. So then we get him back up after like another 30, 40 minutes and we hit him. And the thing pulls out of him somehow, like, I don't know where it stuck him, but it didn't hold. And it like the the pole got all wrapped up the line. It was like this big knotted mess as it came up. But the fish was still like right there on the surface. So we were trying to hurry up and we couldn't get it untangled quick enough. So he was like, forget it. He cut this, redid it. And we got like 50 feet of line on no big buoy. So, like, it's chaos. You got a giant tuna right there. You just have the dart pull out. You're quickly trying to untangle this, like, cut it, retie it, and we stick them. We forgot to retie the buoy on. So, we stick them. He runs, and we just like, we're dancing as the line's going out through our feet, and we just watch the buoy and stay in the boat going. and the line
1: go out. And we're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's so like another thing. Like, we're like right there. We stick them. We're like, oh, we're it's done we got it and then the line's just gone and I'm like do you have another one of those he's like
2: I have another dart but not another like pole thing or whatever to like rig it up so I'm just looking like after all this like we stick the thing and he runs out in the line so he's got like I don't know we cut line off maybe 30 feet of line hanging off of him so he's like we're gonna have to try and like gaff the line or gaff him as he gets close so he didn't run that far this time. We got him back like within 10 minutes and like the line was hanging off and we were able to no gaff the way. line. No the all, line.
1: Like two of us grabbed the, we gaffed the line trailing behind him as he came up and we grabbed the line and just
2: held on to it, cranked, you know, we got the tail rope on him and threw the tail rope and we were all, you know, freaking out, high fives all around. Like we could not believe, like after all of this stuff, you know, Michael was saying, he's like, you mess up one time on a fish like this and it's gone. He was like, we had so many things that went wrong for us still be able to land it gosh
0: yeah yeah. there there's like three
2: moments where you're you've just we've lost them like yeah um, (laughs) so many and like the craziest thing was like this was the most stressful like you hook like the bass of your lifetime or like a fish of your lifetime like you're fighting it for like five minutes you know big bass you might hook something bigger in the ocean like 30 minutes this was seven hours by the time we landed it of just like non-stop like any little bit the rod would come up your heart would sink thinking he pulled off and then you got all these moments where it's like not even your heart sinking you're like oh it's done like the line is wrapped in the motor like oh you just pulled off the dart so it was like all of this stuff that that just- that, that motor because i mean
0: there's just I, I always just trip out how much tension is on that line and I'm talking, mm-hmm. if you breathe on the line the wrong way, it, it yeah, how much tension's on it, you know? It can
2: pop, yeah. <laughs> you don't wanna go over there and flick the line when there's that much tension. It was in the motor. It was insane. So we get it, we wrap the tail rope, we're all pumped, you know, high fives around. And then um we're like, how are we gonna get this thing in the boat? <laughs> the boat didn't have a tuna door or anything. It was huge. It took us about an hour to get it into the boat. We had pulleys and everything. We set up all the pulleys on it, but the fish was so long, we, you know, tied it to the tail, put the pulleys up on the tower and like the distance, the pulleys, like we couldn't get the fish all the way in. Like we lifted it up to the pulleys at the tower and his head was still
1: in the water. No so way. Died, yeah. So his tail's like hanging, like his tail's <laughs> way up there on the tower and the head's still down there in the water. Like we're seven hours
2: in totally fatigued. We're yeah. 50 miles out. Like there was so much tide at this point, you know, we dragged him for a little bit behind the boat. We were like going out of speed. We're going like two miles an hour dragging the fish. Like we had to get him in the boat or else we weren't going to make it ashore for like a day at that speed. Like oh there was so much tide pulling us gosh. out. So we're trying to, you know, like get him in the boat. We're way the heck out there. We end up sawing the fin off. There's no boats around. We put the boat in gear to try and cause the momentum's pushing the fish up. Closer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We get
2: another rope on the head and then we finally made some adjustments after so long and like we get the thing in the boat and it's like, it was like another hour like i said from when we landed it to getting it in the boat so oh, we're finally like God. the biggest sigh i really we lay him in the boat he's like 109 inches like doesn't even fit totally in the boat and this is a big boat we're in so it was, it was what insane. a war man what a
0: war dude that is yeah. and i've seen the photo of that of that of that
2: fish dude that's just like it was it was eye-opening to see a fish that big like the eyeball on it I got a picture of my hand next to it and the eyeball is like that big it's like it's almost the size of your hand like at least the size of your palm no way isn't that crazy
0: <laughs> the stuff you remember I swear those big bluefin tuna out there they are mo- like some of them look like great white sharks
2: yeah like when they come oh, t- up you're like that's a great white <laughs> yeah uh-huh like to see it on the line like coming up under the boat I was like this just doesn't seem right <laughs> to see something that big
0: Yeah, that is nuts, man. Well, thanks for sharing that story. That is freaking awesome, man. Um, Dude, no worries. And then, uh, and what about the Waves program? I know um, know we had talked about, like, especially during quarantine, as far as if you could do it all over again, we both sort of agreed that the Outer Banks was the best place you could be. (laughs) Because they're able to, like, you know, close the bridge there and then sort of, like, or the bridges really keep everyone pretty much like no one gets in, no one gets out. And then the waves are firing.
2: It was the best spring that we've had in years. And like you said, the bridges were closed. So this was in the middle of COVID. I got back home kind of the middle of March from some travels when COVID got bad and came home like straight into waves. It was one of those things where I wasn't bummed to come back home because it was so good. And then they shut down the bridges, like COVID was getting bad and we're small little, island town here we don't have our hospital i think has like 20 beds or something so they were worried about the whole thing so they shut down the bridge to tourism and then after that to non-residents completely so you had to be a dare county resident to get onto the outer banks so it was totally shut off we got two bridges you weren't able to get over there you know police checkpoint and everything so it was a ghost town it was less people than like you know
0: (laughs) you guys are living your best life i'd be
2: yeah it was like you go out to cross the street or something and there's like one car and you're like, oh, I'll wait for him to pass. He's like way far away. Like, you don't even like, I would go for runs and like not even like stop, like just like keep running across and like not even see a car. So it was total ghost town. And then we just had swell after swell of pumping waves. It was insane. We just kept getting like these dreamy spring swells. We had these crazy like shore break setups. There was this one day it was like this crazy little combo swell. It was like more of a Northeast swell. And it was like this rip current that was like so deep, it was like shore break. And it was like completely flat on this corner of the rip current. Like you could like pretty much walk out to the wave and this big rip spit around and made this big sand shoal. And it was like the sickest wedging left rip bowl ever. Like you would sit in this rip bowl and, like, right on the corner of it, this left would, like, just wedge, like, you'd be able to backdoor it, just get super barreled, like, come out, do a turn, and then it would hit the shore break section, and then, like, completely barrel through it again, like, you were like, getting either, like, like, the most perfect TP backdoor barrel, and then, like, into this runner section, like, some of the medium ones would just run all the way through, like, I had one, I didn't get super barreled, but it was, like, super, you know, like, glorified pocket ride, like, through the whole sandbar, just, like, trying to slow down as it ran across no way you almost i'm sorry and like you're out there with five people like there's so many good waves going by on rin because there's nobody there like nobody was down it was just like five of your good friends because no one was able to come down it was like it was ridiculous and you didn't have to worry about you weren't
0: looking over your shoulder like oh i just got a good one you know that 10 that's going to suck 10 people out like yeah, you were enjoying uh-huh. it with five people out and you weren't worried that the school bus of people were going to get dropped off either.
2: Exactly. You are not staring over the dune like seeing 10 guys on the beach. Good set, Black. You're sitting out there. You're kind of like, it's weird to think, but there was like moments where I was like, I wish there's more people out. Cause like everybody, like a set would come through. Everybody would get an insane wave, like super barreled and we're all paddling back and the peak's empty and like a perfect one comes through. And you're like, this is insane. It's firing. And there's like... Five, 10 of us out and like perfect waves are going through unridden.
0: That's crazy. And, li- and um, because I've spent a bit of time there as a kid, but you almost yeah. have to like uh, think like France, like beach break, crazy, like little rip current that starts the wave going and it just follows it right next to the beach. I mean, it is, it's crazy how fun and rippable the Outer Banks is. Like, oh
2: yeah, it's insane. It, I, it, I've got it's like,
0: it's like the Waco of, of shore break, because you actually can rip, like fully go out and go, wow, that was a really fun surf. It, it's some of the, I mean, look, it is some of the best ways by a mile on the East coast for sure.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm definitely a little biased, but I would agree. It's definitely my favorite place on the East coast.
0: I'm super biased about it just because I know, yeah. <laughs> um, I know, I know how you can rip there and and it, it is, uh, I always feel like I am I surf better when I surf there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's super punchy. It doesn't feel like the East Coast. You know, like I said earlier, with like going for um, tuna, like fishing here, our continental shelf's like 30, 35 miles out. So we just don't have all that shallow yep. water like other places do. It, the energy is, there's so much more energy because our is so much deeper right off our coast. I feel like that's the big thing.
0: It is too. No, you're, exa- you're exactly right.
2: And then... Yeah. Um, and I kind of wanted to go into a
0: little bit, Quentin, you had mentioned um, right before you went home in March um, on lockdown, uh, you, were do, you were traveling, you were doing some trips. I kind of wanted to go into, you're your, your 22 years old, you know, you're at, a, you're at a, a point in your life where you're like, okay, the last couple of years you've been thinking like, do I go for the QS? Like what events do I do? And what does pro surfing look like? And, you know, obviously I had went through it a bit, even on tour with, um, with sponsorship and, you know, um, there's not as much there for surfers. So like, tell me, sort of let me into your world as sort of how you're, how you're navigating and what you're thinking as it relates to, to being a surfer and being a, um, and and, you know, you want to, you want to do everything and try everything and um so as it relates to like what is what does a pro surfer look like and how do you even sort of navigate that i imagine like i mean unless you're like on the ct i imagine you're trying to just go like what does this look like
2: yeah totally it's been crazy couple years yeah you go from you know i'm 22 years old so i mean just like a mere five years ago, you know, you're still doing like junior pros and stuff and amateur events you go from, like I did, you know, doing great in amateur events, like winning Easterns and uh, amateur events like that to transitioning to the junior pro, which the big thing for me was, you know, you go from NSSA, Easterns and all of that stuff, uh, Surf America prime events to then they changed the junior pro cutoff from 20 and under to 18 and under when I was right there around that age. So I only had, you know, I did a few events when I was younger, but I only had one full year of doing the junior pro. So I did, I did get in some events. The coolest thing for me was I was able to get in the pipe junior pro when I was 17, which was awesome to do. I made some rounds in there. I think I made like the quarters or something. I got a sick. I got like a really good wave of the back door in my first seat, which was awesome. Oh, I got Like an nice. eight or something, which was like total dream. I was, um, I was staying out there. I stay, I got out there long before the event to just spend some time in Hawaii and get comfortable. And I was staying with cheeseburger, burger out
0: there. <laughs>
2: nice. Darn it. So I was, um, he was helping me and it was awesome. He was on the beach. So he was freaking out when I came in. So that was definitely like the highlight of my one winter out there in Hawaii and probably, you know, my whole junior pro experience. But with that being said, you know, like I did that event and then I went through the whole year and did a lot of those junior pros and I had some good events and some bad events but then it was like all of a sudden like that whole junior pro thing was over in that one year because I aged out of it that quickly so then it was like this weird transition like oh I went from like doing easterns to a year of junior pro to now I'm in the QS so it was like which events do I do how much money do I want to spend like you travel all the way over here and like some events like everything's great you're feeling great and then like you get unlucky and you got a heated high tide. And it's like 20 minutes goes by and you don't get any waves. So I definitely had like a couple events where I was like, man, like, I don't know if like right now, like I still felt so young. I was like 19, 20 and I'm like competing against guys that are 35. So I like a little bit of realization that I was like, maybe like right now the QS isn't for me to keep doing that full time. So I took a couple of years. i never quit doing them, but I just wasn't like Doing the whole leg or anything traveling, because like you said, like the industry's weird right now. Like, there's not a whole lot of money, and I, like I was like looking at the numbers. Like, you spend so much money, and you got to like get a really good placement to even make your money back.
1: Mm.
2: So, I um, I took a couple years of just doing like the local East Coast ones, and then um, I definitely, you know, unfortunately, the COVID things happening right now. But I definitely want to right now get back into it and start doing some more QS. Well, you were in, that being, uh,
0: you were in Barbados. Um, yeah, what was
2: that? Yeah, KD in November. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was November of this past year that there was a QS out there. Yeah, oh, okay. I was supposed to be going there this March, but then um, the whole COVID thing happened and that was canceled.
0: Oh, okay, that's what it was.
2: Yeah, Good, but you. yeah. So I mean, like, right now I've also like I got my captain's license. That's what I've been doing this summer. I don't have any contests to go to or anything. So that's like was like kind of my side plan anyways. It was like when I'm in town, run fishing and spear fishing charters. So it's been oh, great. Oh, congr- congratulations,
0: dude. That's yeah, like, thank you. That is, um, anyone that has their captain's license, which I don't, um, would, would know that that is, that's nuts. That's a lot of hours. What, so what is, even explain, give me a quick little rundown of, uh, I want to get my captain's license. What does it look like?
2: Yeah, so the biggest thing, you need to have 360 days on the water. So i was lucky i've been like mating and like helping out on people's boats and like working a little bit as mates for the year so i was able to get 360 days so like that's Wait, the biggest so thing is you that know.
0: annually so how are they it's, how are you able to calculate total
2: so from when you're 16 you can count your days Oh, okay so like okay. one day is four four hours in the water so i could go all the way back to when i was 16. Okay. So, like there's um i did some work in the sound my um, friend's dad owns a wakeboarding uh, wakeboarding lesson company so i would be out on the boat there helping people so i had a lot of hours on that and then just going out in yeah. the ocean fishing mating on boats and all that so it um you know it's a lot but at the same time you, know, you can go all the way back to when you're 16. so right. i was able to get all the days there so it was a big thing all the hours on the water and then you i had to take a class it was like a 10 day long class eight hours a day going through all this learned like the biggest thing was like you had this big book of like ridiculous stuff like I would never see here on the Outer Banks but, like all these lights and sound patterns and just like this like this boat's got this light and making this sound you're in the channel what do you who has priority all this like crazy stuff that it's like I guess if you're in the Chesapeake Bay or you know like maybe in a big port like Miami you would be seeing but here it was like I'm not I'm not gonna encounter this again so it was like a whole lot of that stuff memorizing yeah that's just and, yep test taking memorizing yeah and then um chart plotting I learned how to do that like on a hard map which is pretty cool right. doing like that like you're going at this heading the speed where you're gonna end up you see like a light tower at this angle like tower at that angle like where are you so you're like you're looking you got a compass and angles on the map um so doing that did all that then um how to get like a physical drug testing a twic card which is like a security clearance so like go through all that stuff and send it all into the Coast Guard. And a few months later, I got my captain's license.
0: And then did – how much did it cost? Did you have to put out
2: a uh, like... – It's pretty expensive, yeah. Like, the class was almost $1,000. And then, like, the Twick card's, like, another $150. Getting your physical is, like, another 150 So, I mean, you're looking, you know, like $1,500 or so. But it's that's... worth it. Like, 1500 to 2000 by the end of it.
0: Oh, that's rad, man. That is – that's a uh... – that's and then what do you have to do do you have to do hours to keep that or annually or every five years you yeah
2: exactly every five years you got to renew it so I think you need to have like 360 days on the water in those five years and then you go through I think every two years I'm gonna have to get like another physical or n cPR certified so there's stuff like that in between I'm gonna have to get redo you know get another physical but um yeah then after five years as long as you keep re- renewing it that's the biggest thing is stay in it don't like let yeah. that five years pass by but yeah i think you just send in um like the log book of the hours you were on the water and everything to the coast guard and then you'll renew it just like that you know i think it's like a hundred dollars you send in or something to get another license
0: oh that's sick and then so sort of explain to me it was like okay you got a captain's license you know i'm surfing you know obviously the outer banks you know fishing's awesome spear fishing's um before it gets too cold I guess (laughs) Um, yeah and it sort of explained to me like where like sort of what the day-to-day is or the week really you know week to week as far as um work play all that sort of stuff
2: yeah so I guess I'll go back a little bit even before so like that was kind of the thing for um me getting the captain's license like how do I balance like the surfing and the work thing you know like I had my captain's license it's like oh do I want to like get a boat right now and start doing this. But it's like, Oh, I still want to be doing the whole surfing thing and traveling to contest. So I had like this year where I had my captain's license and was like doing a little bit of work with, but wasn't really utilizing it. And I was just like, man, like, do I save up money? Do I buy a boat to start doing my own stuff? Do I like get a loan for a boat? And then I got this loan sitting over my head. So it was like kind of this whole thing where I was like, what exactly do I want to do? It's good to have the license. Cause I'm like, Oh, I got it. You know, in case I ever want to do it. But i had like, you know, a year or so where I was, unsure exactly like like I said surfing's my number one still so it's like I didn't want to like go away from that and start getting too busy like buy a boat and then I'm like oh I gotta like really be involved in this now because I have a boat I have all these expenses so um the great thing is um my buddy Dave Seibert with Vicarious Spear Fishing he's got a full-time job at the Coastal Study Institute so um, that's whose boat I've been running. We've kind of partnered up and we've been doing a whole lot of fishing and spear fishing stuff together. We do spear fishing together, and then I've been running his boat for fishing trips. So that's been great this summer. I've been doing that. It's like the best of both worlds right now because I'm out there on the water, got the boat to use, and then I don't have like the stress, like I was saying, about like buying a boat right away and doing it. So that's been working out great for me this summer. Absolutely love it. I've been, it doesn't feel like I've worked it all the summer. I've just been out on the water fishing, taking people spear fishing so
0: that's rad but you know what that's tough work i mean that is it is
2: it's stressful definitely i love it but it's stressful yesterday i got smoked by a thunderstorm coming in we were out there and like you could see it down in manio and Wanches, like there's all swamps like inland north carolina and like it just seems like thunderstorms blow up right over there like nowhere like i live in kitty hawk we're 20 miles to the north and it's like you see the storms down there that there to the south and they never seem to hit us they always blow up there so like did a morning trip got trout and redfish it was great and then the afternoon trip we got a whole bunch of trout really quickly and then I knew there was a chance of th- thunderstorms in the afternoon and all of a sudden it's just like uh oh here it comes <laughs> so we were able to like finish the trip like just in time and like we're coming into the dock and I'm keep watching the radar if I had to cut it short and like perfect timing I was like okay like pretty much done here like let's head to the dock and like I get the people off and, like, they're starting to walk up, and it just, like, you, those big raindrops start coming down. <laughs> and they're like, uh-oh. And it just starts pouring, like, gusting wind, like, 35 miles an hour. It's, like, white capping in the dock. And I'm, like, trying to get the boat out of there. Just stressful stuff like that. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun, but then there's moments like that. And then like, if – I'm if responsible um, for these people. I'm responsible for all this stuff.
0: Yeah. No, it is, dude. And you're trying to show them the best time, you know? You're like, you got paying customers here. You Yeah. Wanna- you want to give them the experience that, um, that, that, that they, you know, that you want them to have, obviously. Um, what about, uh, what about this, the, um, a dive charter? Like if I want to get on a dive charter, do I have to take, um, uh, a free diving class before, like yeah. a couple, couple weeks before what sort of, what would that look like?
2: Yeah. So that's one thing. Um, if you're um, free dive certified, you don't need to do it. You know, mm-hmm. if you've done a class already, but um, Dave, he's an instructor. He's a dive master. So if you haven't, you, um, you'll you pay a guide service. So he'll be in the water with you. Oh, okay. So if you have no experience, then he'll be in the water as a guide. Gotcha. So that's our thing right now. If you are free dive certified, if you got a buddy, you're good. Just book the trip and you're good to go. But if you aren't certified, you don't have that experience, then yeah, you'll pay a guide fee and he'll be there in the water keeping everybody safe. Yeah. And then um, I think, I'm not
0: sure if you guys were on a dive charter or not, but um so all our cobia in florida now live in north carolina they don't don't come Uh the global warming thing and i don't think it's gonna stop (laughs) right you know and i'm Uh not but either way the i have noticed um that the fish keep moving further north um as they don't come as far south anymore a lot of these uh cobia that we really um would get it get onto them pretty thick and maybe they're maybe Mm -hmm. they're fished a little bit more as well but either way there's a bunch it seems like there's been a bunch up your way and they've been hanging out for um for some time and then yeah tell me about that trip that you guys got on that um fudge it looked like an oil slick the manta ray was so
2: big oh my gosh it was insane so yeah we were out there for a dive trip and um we were anchored up to this wreck and um all of a sudden like we see we first off see the manta ray jump far away and we're like wow that was insane we saw it jump we're like that'd be super cool if it came by but it was like to the distance where it was so far away to like untie the boat and everything to try and go find it might not have been worth it so we're like let's hang out for a little bit and see and then all of a sudden he just came swimming straight through everybody in the water he was huge He was probably like 12 feet across like six seven cobia just swimming right on him it was just It was insane to see it. Most of the Kobe were small, but there were a couple big ones. So like he was like barely like moving his fins and like everyone's trying to kick as hard as they can to keep up with them. And the one guy got up to him and was like trying to get up to get a shot on him. He unfortunately could not catch up. The thing was down pretty deep. It was probably down like 20 feet. So like when you're kicking as hard as you can, trying to keep up with this thing to try and get a dive down so he wasn't able to get the kobe on it and the thing ended up diving down he, he took a shot but it wasn't the best shot and then it Manta ray dove like way down out of sight so we were like all bummed about that and then um, we were moving to another wreck and like it was oil slick out there so you just see the fins of the Manta ray. another one out there just cruising around so it's the same thing like we rolled up and like we were all able to jump in and he was just chilling there like i got like a crazy GoPro footage, like I jumped in and like all these Kobe are just like darting straight at me as I'm in front of the Manta Ray, like mo- all those were small again, like I didn't see any that were really, you know, they might have been 36 inches, but I didn't care to shoot them, but it was just like, oh, here's a Kobe, there's one, there's one, they're like oh, all just circling around, so like I was like, man, today was insane, like that was a once-in-a-lifetime experience right there, and then we have another trip the next day, and we um we mentioned to the people like, oh, maybe we'll see a manta ray, but- I doubt it, like we got lucky yesterday to see one. After being in the water for 30 minutes, here comes another manta ray, like straight up to us. Like he like remember, remembered us. It looked like the same one as the day before because it had like six Kobe and one standout on it. And he just came straight through. My buddy was able to shoot it. It was like a nice like 25, 30 pound cobia. And then the manta ray like just kept doing these circles. Like at first he was in like a circle that would like, you wouldn't see him for 20 minutes or something. We got like way out and around to come back. And then after, like, an hour of us being in the water, like, he was, like, he enjoyed being around us, it seemed, because, like, like he was doing, like, these tight circles around the boat. Like, he would be on the surface, then, like, dive down under the anchor line, and then, like, come straight back up to the surface.
1: So, we were all just, like, swimming
2: with this manta ray, like, right there, like, six cobia, like, balled up on him. It was insane, like, to see something that big and just, like just chilling right there like he you could tell he definitely like enjoyed our presence just as much as we were stoked to be swimming with him oh that's uh, what an experience man and how far how
0: far are you guys out at this point how far are you guys offshore we're only nine
2: miles out so we're not that far out we're like nine miles out and like 70 some feet of water
0: yeah just like in some just getting in the clear water
1: yeah exactly
2: Uh uh-huh yeah right there you know like seven to ten miles we normally start getting some really blue water Oh, that's rad, man. And
0: then, um, oh, that's so cool. And then I know, um, whoops. And I know we've sort of, um, I think you've been working too hard, but, um, I know that we were getting into running for a little bit there. Yeah. Um, You happen to be fast. Your dad sounds like he's a, uh, he's a runner by, by trade. Um, but I know, um, I know we were uh, we were sort of just have been talking about that a bit. It's kind of really yeah really nothing. no
2: it's it was awesome yeah we definitely I was doing it a whole lot my biggest thing was just through the winter when I wasn't surfing much I wanted to stay in shape and I was you know I do all my free diving I do all my spearfishing free diving so it was kind of one of those things I was like oh, I want to get in really good shape for the summer and I just kind of got the addiction for it and was just running a whole bunch and then you were gnarly all the marathons you were doing so you were motivating me there'd be days where I'm like oh, I'm gonna go for you know like a little four miler and I would see that you ran 10 I'm like I gotta go farther now <laughs> well I would see how fast you would run and I was like holy
0: <laughs> crap man and then you just and then you just and then you just went balls to the wall on that half
2: yeah um, you you told me to do that half we had that little thing going <laughs> the COVID thirteen or something that was six yeah Yeah. that was something I really when I first started running like I would be just running more for long wanting to get my lungs in shape I'd be doing a little bit of like breath holding while running and like certain breathing techniques it was mostly just kind of low mileage trying to get my lungs in shape and yeah um, you were like um, doing really fast paces to try and you know get my body used to that anaerobic fitness
0: yeah it's um I know you were mentioning about that and I've um I've actually been doing that when I'm swimming like laps at the pool like really, just start mm-hmm. to play with my breath, and then when I've been running, um, there's this guy that's pretty good at uh, running or has done it, um, and he was like you know sort of getting me into different patterns and rhythms with my breath, and it was really cool, and I know we had mentioned too that it was kind of good for us mentally as well, um, just sort of dealing with life, but um yeah, it is really totally. cool that's what it- I'm sorry.
2: No, like you said, dealing with life and everything, like it's mentally it puts you in a great state. Like, that's the one thing. Like, if I was having a crappy day, like, your mind's getting away from you a little bit. You're like, oh, I'm just going to go for a run. And, like, at the end of it, in the moment, like, it clears your head so much. So, that was the best thing for me yeah. about it was like, yeah, it was like to be in shape, but it was also like the whole mental part of it, it was great.
0: Yeah. When things start getting a little overwhelming, I know we were talking about, like, oh man, how running has been helping so much. And then, um, and then yeah, it's all. And then messing with the breathing and stuff has just been really fun doing those uh, those sort of cardio activities, and they sort of feel like meditation as well. You know, a lot like a lot like diving and, and surfing, and even fishing. But um, but yeah. And then what about your what about your bro? You've been tag teaming it with him as far as yeah, you know, I think his I, captain's I, license or what? Is he around? Is he running around? He doesn't.
2: He's, he's still yep. Yeah, he's right around. Stefan, come up here. Jump in. Yeah, he's gonna have to jump in. Did he, we definitely are. Uh,
0: um, I don't know if maybe you could just unplug the things, maybe, and then just. I think we can. Oh yeah, you can do it that do way too. Like Does it matter with the microphone?
2: I don't um, know. I got a hard microphone right
1: here. I don't know. Oh, can you tell how the audio yeah. is?
0: No, the audio sounds really good. Believe That's it or not. Stefan?
1: Talk. What's yeah. up, CJ? Yeah.
0: yeah, how you doing, Sounds Stephen? good.
1: Sweet. Doing yeah. good. Thanks for having me on. I'm stoked.
0: Yeah, dude. Um. I was wondering, did you guys tag team and get your guys' captain license at the same time? No, we didn't. Oh, you uh, did. He already have his. He sort of coached you along. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> he wants me to go do it. I need to. Oh,
0: okay. I got you. I didn't know if you had already had yours or what, and you guys. Were no, like,
2: I don't. So you got to be eighteen. That's the one requirement. So Stefan's still uh, only seventeen.
0: Oh, uh, still yeah. a young buck. <laughs> That's right. That I see. I didn't know that. I I, I didn't know that, man. Yeah. So, um, So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Stephen, tell me a little bit about, um, have you been, has he been helping out with the charters or anything, sort of deckhand? Yeah,
2: Yeah. Uh he's been mating with me a lot, which has been great.
0: Unreal, man, unreal. And then, um, yeah, dude, Stephen, I don't know, man, tell me me a little bit about yourself or tell me something that maybe we don't know about big bro or what.
1: I don't know, just fishing, (laughs) surfing, living the life. (laughs) I guess the biggest thing that I have to say about Stefan is he seems to always outfish me. Like there's no way that I
2: can like get the edge on him. Like there's been so many times where it's like, I don't know what he's got, what he had for breakfast that morning, but it's like, he seems to do no wrong. Where I'm like struggling to get a fish and he's like getting fish after fish. Or like I get a good fish and then he gets a fish that's like 10 pounds more than mine.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. But we go surf, you (laughs) get the best barrel. Like... (laughs) Where'd you find that way? We got from? this good equilibrium going. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that... we saw him on the lemons. I'm like, Stephen, go on this one. Here comes the first one. The first one, that says, that's going to be great. And then, yeah, it'll be a closeout. And then I look back and Quentin's just like standing tall in a barrel. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> Sold me on the lemon.
0: Isn't that funny the way it works though? Sometimes when you're like your buddy and you wouldn't maybe do it with your, with your brother, but like a buddy that you want to get a good wave. And you're like, yeah, this one looks like the one. And then you're tr- you're actually trying to help them out. And then, yeah. then, then the
2: one behind is just so much better. You're like, honestly, I didn't plan it like that. <laughs> I
1: know. swear it
2: happens to me. I do the same thing. Like I'm getting to the point, you know, where I'm trying so hard for Stefan to get like the wave of the day or like just get him on a good one. And then I like send him on a lemon without meaning. And then like, yeah, I'm on the one behind him. Like, oh, I did not mean that to happen. <laughs> oh, that's classic. What about those – um? I just
0: thought about those, uh, those African Pompano. Is that, is that what it was that you yeah. guys? Well,
2: yeah. Uh-huh. Tell me about that story. Cause man, we've been having the best couple of years of spearfishing together. I mean, the great thing with having him as my brother is it's like the big thing with free diving is always yep. having the buddy system. So Got like, it. that's one thing we never dive alone and it's Have great having other so we've been like in the last couple of years as he's been getting older the diving that we've been doing is insane like being brothers we're so connected we care about each other so we're super safe so yeah we've been getting some great stuff but yeah the african pompano we went down south a little bit and um it was a total dream day like we went out there in the morning and it know slick calm super clear water we were in like 90 feet of water and you could see the wreck from the surface which is awesome right. for here and um we got some fish he got a really good fish in the morning and then it kind of slowed down. The conditions were good, but we weren't getting a whole lot of fish, and then we hit a bunch of other wrecks, and then in the afternoon, we um pulled up to this other wreck we were going to check out, and um we saw, like, African pompano from the surface. They're normally down deep, and, like, we rolled over the wreck, and we're like, oh my god, like, is, are those African pompano, like, from the surface? <laughs> we're looking down, like, you see barracudas and stuff swimming around normally, and we're like, I like sounds like there's no way that can be an African. Yeah, he pump. said
1: he was like, Oh, there's African pompano. I was like, Yeah, all right. Like you saw a bear clear or something. If the <laughs> dude pops up, he jumped in, he's like, dude, they're African up everywhere, like right under the surface. Yeah. And we just start all freaking out. Oh my so gosh. You guys diving. must have been
0: hammered by them. Like diving all day. Like that yeah. takes it out yeah. of me. Yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, I wasn't even gonna jump in. I was like, nah, like I'm done, like you guys can have your diving. And then they said that and I like threw my gear on as <laughs> quick as possible and jumped in the water
2: no way and you guys were able to get a couple of them yeah 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 we did really good I think um we each got two that day so Stefan got a good size one and then a really big one and I did the same thing I got like a medium size one and then a really big one so at the end of the day we ended up for for African Pompano between us which was just insane it was like definitely like a little bit of like a competition between us because like I said Stefan always Beats me fishing, but spearfishing, I have the edge on him for the most most part. I'd normally get the bigger fish. So it started out where, like, he got a really big one to start, and I got, like, a smaller one. So it's like, oh, my God, I can't let him beat me <laughs> getting the bigger fish for the day. And then I luckily, like, towards the end of that day in that school, I got one. I, his still might have been a little bigger, but at least, at least they were close. He didn't totally smoke me. <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, like yeah. I came
1: up from a dive. I went down and came up, and he was, like, grunting at me. I looked down, and they, like, followed me up, the African Pompano. I had no clue. And he grabs my gun and dives down and shoots <laughs> an absolute giant. I was like, no oh, my gosh. No way. All oh, that yeah. is epic, dude. Because that's that's the thing about the African Pompano. They're, like, ghosts. Like, the one time I dove down, did a complete circle, didn't see any, and then looked behind me, and there were ten of them, like, five feet away. Just, like, all looking at it.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> they
1: – they just come out of nowhere it's crazy i don't get like how they sneak up on you like that their body type's pretty wild like mm. they're super like they're
2: a really broad fish you know like a pump and you know, like the little ones you catch on the beach like they're really wide but they're yep. super narrow they're like that wide so it's like they could like all be swimming at you and you wouldn't see them yeah they they're turn not broadside yep yeah exactly and then they turn broadside you're like oh my god look at this giant fish right there how did i not see that or, like the same thing looking down like you're looking at this skinny back and they're super silvery so you can't see them until they turn yeah no that would be That'd be true. And then, so I'm thinking,
0: um, what about these wrecks that you guys are diving? Because, um, as we know, you know, the outer banks in North Carolina sticks out so far there that, um, I imagine the map of wrecks, there's, there's, you know, a lot of them uh, more in- so than other places.
2: It's insane. I mean, it's one of the nicknames is the graveyard of the Atlantic. I saw some stats somewhere the last couple of days where I think there's been like 5,000 shipwrecks off the coast since like record keeping began in the 1500s. Wow. So wow. yeah, like offshore, we have a whole bunch of shipwrecks that we dive, you know, from like 50 feet of water to hundreds of feet of water. But the biggest thing for um, me and Stefan is just right off the beach, we have so many shipwrecks, like within 20 miles of my house, we probably have 10 shipwrecks that are in like 10 feet of 10 to 30 feet of water that you can go dive it's like as a kid for me and for Stefan, like before we had a boat or the opportunity it's like you get a light onshore wind day and no swell and you can swim right out to a rack like right off the beach 200 yards off the beach or less and spearfish out there like huge ships you know like 100 200 foot long ships that are like right there like 20 feet to the sand like five feet below the surface so that whole thing like we were so blessed and we still are being able to do that type of spearfishing
0: yeah, that's just another thing that um, that makes the Outer Banks, like, so special, you know? I guess, yeah. uh, um, I guess the only down thing is every time you get, like, a nuts northeaster, you're, like, worried about the islands just going to, like, just
2: disappear. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's, like, one of the cool things with the, um, with the wrecks close to the beach. Like, you think you need to take a boat to go out to get big fish. But last summer, we had the most epic summer ever shore diving. So it started out in June. I was able to shoot the world record sheep's head off the Outer Banks right here off of a shore dive, which was 16.8 pounds, which was insane. Stefan was out there with me that day, which we couldn't believe it. I was actually trying to get him to shoot a big sheep's head and he was trying to, I was trying to get him to go down first,
1: right? Yeah, but it was so murky. I was like, I'm not going down. I was like, you're going to be the one to go run into a shark first. I always send him to go do sketchy Uh, stuff. Oh, nice we're out there in murky, you know, murky, like five feet of his 10 feet of his like
2: spooky when you're out there far, you can't see what's under you. So I was trying to get him to dive. He's like, just jump in first, like go down. And I was like, okay, like if if that's what you want, like I'm giving you opportunity to get first drop (laughs) and I drop. And um, the sheep said this spring last spring were already like, the num like a lot of more of them that I'd never seen, like numbers of big ones were crazy,
1: it was unreal. Yeah, I've never seen that many. Yeah, sheets of- like even
2: this year, like it, we hardly saw any compared to last year.
1: I mean, last year you dive down and see a school of like 30, all eight plus pound sheep that they would just circle around you. And I mean, no. yeah, you just take in the beauty of it. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so,
0: that i never even seen a sheep's head
2: that big, <laughs> like ever. It was insane. So, like, I'm diving down, and, like, there's a big school. Like, Stefan's saying, like, you're just in awe. You almost don't want to shoot them because you're seeing so many, like, eight, ten-pounders swimming through. And I'd already shot, like, a good size one week prior. So I wasn't that concerned. I had fish to eat. And um, I was just trying to see, like, the biggest one I could pick out. And like, here comes all these like eight, 10 pounders, like huge sheep set. And then this one just dwarfs all of those. Like the head starts coming up at me. I got the GoPro footage of it and everything. It's cool. Um, but um, this head is like so blunt coming straight up at me and it turns and I was like, oh my gosh, like dwarf the other ones. And I was like, that's definitely the biggest one like I've ever seen. I Did you think that.
0: it was like a black drum at first?
2: it almost looked like a black drum yeah like it looked like it was like a 20 pound black drum or something yeah because like the way that the, f- the front of their face is a little bit they look very similar to black drums and you'll sometimes see black drums in the school of sheep sets so I actually I was, shot
1: one I shot a black drum that day yeah there. uh-huh
2: so like I didn't think that it was a sheep set at first I thought it was definitely a black drum it looked too big like it yeah. dwarfed all these big sheep sets so, like, I shot it and, like, came up, and we were both, like, stoked, but we weren't necessarily in disbelief. Like, he was all jealous. He's like, oh, of course you jump in and get one. <laughs>
1: Started sandbagging you. Yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, it was big, but, like, we didn't realize, like, it was that big. We thought it was, like, 13 pounds. We're like, yeah, it's probably, like, a 13. I was like, that's the biggest one I've ever seen, like, 100% but
2: we didn't think it was a world record. Like for me personally, like the previous world record was 15 pounds. Like I remember looking at that. I was like, that's a sheep's head. You never hear of anything like that on the Outer Banks. Like that record's impossible to get here. So then like we kept diving. We didn't think anything of it. Like we went in, I went to go get the car and he's sitting there the, on the funniest
1: beach. thing, yeah. Some guy, I got like, I think I shot a trigger fish, that sheep's head and a black drop. And some guy walks up to me and he's like, can I like have a fish for dinner tonight? And I was like, sure. And I was like looking at that sheep's head. I was like, you know, we've already shot so many sheep's head. I was like, I might just give this guy the sheep's head. <laughs> it
0: was, and I Was putting like, <laughs> around at the time you were gonna get going to give this guy away?
1: And then I was like, you know what? I might as well give him the black drum. I was like, yeah, I'd like the sheep's head will taste better. So I luckily gave the guy the black drum. But I almost gave away Quinn's world record sheep's said. <laughs> no
0: <guy. laughs> way. And dude, there's a lot of world records, like I think redfish and like all kinds of um stuff over like fifty years off of um, you know, whether it be off the shore or, or, or wherever in um in the outer banks there, man. There's a lot of
1: Yeah.
2: Things are just a little bit bigger. Sharks are a little bit bigger, bluefin are a little bit bigger, sheep's uh-huh. head. <laughs> oh yeah definitely so yeah like the other crazy story with Stefan I guess these are the two like most iconic ones of last year and like this is another one off the beach like like I said it's so awesome that we live where we do where you can get this stuff just like parking your car and walking right out and swimming out a couple hundred yards so we go out it was like this time last year it might have even been a year ago today I think I just saw it like pop up on my Facebook or something but um we go out and um we're diving the spot and we're hoping to see a Kobe or something and um, I'm diving down. Like, there was a little bit of a murk layer, like down 20 feet. So I was like swimming that line, and he was on the surface following me. It was good vis. He was able to see me as I, was out, as I was swimming.
1: Yeah. And he's just like swimming down there. And I kind of like glance up, and there's three giant cobia swimming, and they go right to Quentin, like right over top of him. He has no idea they're there. <laughs> they're pretty much drafting me like yeah. a leatherback or something. Like, they are right on like his head, and he has no clue. So I have this little tiny gun because my shaft, Kobe snapped my shaft on my gun like a few days ago. And um, I lined up on the biggest one and aimed super high because they were like right over Quentin. Like I didn't want to miss low or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I shot. <laughs> so I shot and missed right over top of the big one. And I'm like grunting Quentin, like turn around. Yeah, and I hear him shoot and I glance up and I'm staring at him as gun. Unloading. I was like what is he doing like shooting something from the surface right now and I start grunting and he turns around and they just go broadside yeah. right in front of him and I see him just smoke the big one and I'm like sweet so he starts fighting the one and I'm trying to reload as quick as possible and I catch something like right like kind of by my fins and the 50 pounder is just following right behind me and I'm like just trying to load as quick as possible my gun like freaking out and um Finally get it loaded and I don't see the Kobe anymore. I'm like, gosh, dang it. Like it must have peaced out. And then Quinn's like, come here. It's falling right behind mine. So I swam over there and shot a 50 pounder too. No way. In the moment, I didn't realize that any
2: of the fish were that big. Like I shot the big one thing and it was like 40 pounds. And I thought his was like 25 or 30 pounds. It's so like I have my fish on I'm fighting and I'm trying to like keep it close because that fish was going between my fish and swimming behind him while I was reloading. So like I got my fish on and I watch him shoot and like he said he's using this little 60 centimeter gun like a tiny gun but it has a reel and um, he shoots it and it looks like it hits the Kobe and just like stops instantly like it looked like it just did not have the power like I tied little tight bands on it. But, like, that gun's not meant to shoot a fish that big. And he, like, shoots it, and it just looked like it stopped.
1: The thing about that, and the shaft just barely made it through. But the night before I looked at that gun, and I knew I was going to use that gun, I was like, I might as well tighten up that one band on it just a little bit more, like, in case we see a Cobia. And um, maybe that's what had the yeah. shafts go through it enough. I don't know. Yeah.
2: Like, it just barely poked through enough to get the flop. So, like, I see him shoot that, and now we're both doubled up on Cobia. Like, I'm – mine ended up being 70 pounds like I have a 70 pounder on his ended up being like 54 52 54 pound too yeah. so like we both have these Kobe on and like in my mind I'm like oh god his shaft didn't go all the way through like it's eventually going to pull through it's so, like yeah. I poke my head up. I'm like fight it soft I'll land mine and then I'll shoot yours again with my gun so we'll get a second shot it's so, like I'm horsing it in we're both doubled up now and we're crisscrossing like he had, he
1: was GoProing it and got like the yeah, craziest like- video mine cut in between Quentin's line and i barely got my gun through his like there was a loop that i had to, like, yeah. it was just it's chaos. like crazy like we got all this line
2: and he's like throwing his line his gun under my line while trying to keep tension and we're like lines everywhere's total chaos and then like we get separated a little bit while we're fighting and like i'm really trying to horse mine in cuz i'm like i got a good shot in him um, like i thought i spined him which he ended up like his spine wasn't like when we filleted him but like I had a good holding shot so I was trying to get him in as quick as I could and that was when like I finally got my hands on it I realized how big it was like my hand wouldn't even fit around
1: its tail I was like
2: whoa this oh, thing's way no. bigger than 40 pounds
1: like, I like, grabbed we its... measure yeah on kind of. like go you know, like hand around the base of the tail and depending on like how much your hand can fit around it's you know like yeah. how big they are and like even when I grabbed that thing I was like this yeah. thing is your you hand like
2: it. was like halfway around it so, like, I string it up, like, rip my shaft out of it, and, like, so in the moment, like, start loading my gun. I'm, like, hold up, and my shaft's, like, in this, like, L. <laughs> yeah, like, and I'm,
0: like, maybe
1: I'm not going to put
0: another hole in yours. That was
1: exactly it. I was, like, maybe I'm not going to be any help now. I was, like, trying to think. I have it enclosed shaft. I'm, like, can I somehow, like, load it and shoot it with its bent? Like, I couldn't even get it anywhere close to loading. I was, like, nope. No No so way room like i swear gun. you said you're like you're almost just gonna go there and try and stab yeah. it with shafts and i was like that's not gonna do anything <laughs> you're like with a knife so then, to- yeah <laughs> chasing it down with a knife so then
2: i um i swam over i was like nope i'm done i'm no help to you and i was just watching him fight and as it started tiring out a little bit he was, he was doing a great job fighting it softly i was able to see that it did poke through and the flopper was open so i was like all right you're gonna land it like just take your time so then he ended up landing it we bear hugged it you know gnarly fight to get on um,
0: were you guys on the kayaks then you guys on the axe
2: we took a paddleboard out oh no way we got, i got a really wow. big paddleboard yeah we both go on the paddleboard it's pretty sweet it's almost easier with the gear one of us like suits up on the beach and either jumps okay. on the paddleboard swims through the shoreline and then sits up on the front so like you're totally ready to go and then the other person paddles and then straps their gear down so it's gotcha sweet we're like both on it. i like it more the kayaks work great but i'd like doing the paddleboard you're just like, just yeah. ready, just like pfft, jump on anything right away. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we came in with like 120 pounds of cobia. Like, we couldn't believe it. Like, we have these huge <laughs> fish. Like, to get from a shore dive, like, if you went offshore and you got that, you would oh have my been gosh. Like, an epic game. We come in from, come into the beach with that. So, it was so, yeah. good. Yeah, to wow. walk on.
1: Like, we had to park kind of further away. So like I had to walk them probably 200 yards in the water. <laughs> and, yeah. We and couldn't even drag them up. Oh yeah. Cause it would have yeah. been, yeah, you would have just been dead if you didn't use the water. Yeah. <laughs> and then we bring them up and just people just swarm us. They're like, are those sharks? Like yeah. all the questions. And then Quentin goes, gets a car and I'm dealing with like 30 people just asking me all questions about it. And you know what I mean? It's like a hundred degrees outside. Like we had like wet towels draped over them because you don't want it to spoil. But, um, um that that's is, crazy. oh yeah
0: that's true huh that's classic and then um it's funny you mentioned about the tails because I always trip out about um that too um because I look at a swordfish you know and I'm always like look at a swordfish is like right back where the you know the sort of spine meets the tail you know and I'm just like yeah uh-huh.
2: how strong this fish is look at his tail right there yeah yeah you think about it, like that's where all their power comes from like mm. that point right there
0: yeah that was funny that you mentioned that because i always trip out about that too and i look at a fish i'm just imagine that's just like
1: that's just his freaking outboard right there yeah <laughs> I mean, it shows with kobe those things fight so hard yeah like catching them out of the kayaks the craziest thing yeah yeah So it's <laughs> oh, yeah, another epic around. thing where he
2: always gets me is on the kayak fishing like we've had some this year we had some epic fishing off the kayaks we went down on in the spring when the big bull red showed up the first time and we had an insane day, we went out on the kayaks and we caught like two dozen between us, like a dozen a piece, big, like 40, 50 inch, big red drum off the kayaks. Like it was just these, big plumes of mud and boils that they were stirring up and like we were out there and it's like you see this like mud plume coming up we're out there on kayaks there's all these boats out on center consoles we're out like a mile like freaking out and then here we are there's a couple of us out on kayaks like zipping over and like casting into these balls of red drum and, like instantly hooking up and just getting dragged all around like getting
1: pulled towards these boats and there's nothing you can do about it
2: yeah oh, if, like, the boats
1: would, like the boats would circle that school and then you would kind of ease in there, hook up, and the thing would just drag you straight in the center of the school. <laughs> and there's bucktail flying <laughs> past you. Like the one guy hooked up on a boat, the fish ran under my kayak, got wrapped up in my Mirage Drive. So I had one hooked up, shoved around the rod holder, and like had to pull my Mirage out, Mirage no drive out, way, yeah. to free his line, like let it go. It was like, sorry, man, like put the Mirage Drive back in, and just kept fighting my fish. It was like another like 45 pound redfish.
0: No way. How rad is, because we have that a little bit, um, I've seen it off Port Canaveral, where they're just, you know, there's blue water and they're just like pushing that mud and you just go right in front of them, right in front of the
2: mud and then you're on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. There's just that many big fish that they're just stirring up that much mud. It's wild. And then it's like, yeah, like you said, you just cast in front it's instantly. There's hundreds of them. You just hook up as soon as you cast in front of them. That's. I mean, those drummer probably fun. down there.
1: Yeah, those drummer probably down there like, feeding just on crabs yeah, on the feeding bottom on stuff on the bottom. just chasing right in that around. sand, stirring up all
0: that silt. whatever's in there for sure. Oh, that's epic, dude. That's epic. But hey, man, guys, we are. That was that was good times, dude i think we're dude, running a, awesome. i think we're running a little long here uh-huh. <laughs> hayden might have to do some uh some cutting up but um yeah. no man i really really appreciate your guys time um hope you have a great weekend and dude thanks so much for uh for letting us into your world there
1: no problem I we're too. still to talk this is yeah, great for having us on thank you for listening to salty stories the
0: ship's log presented by Salty Crew and hosted by the sage, CJ Hopkins. To see the trips that were mentioned, check out Thrill Seekers and Risk Takers the Movie on YouTube or salty-crew.com. And keep an eye out for more Salty Stories episodes coming soon.